0: It's very interesting how often you can go through a book, uh, how many times you can actually read it, and every time you read it, you see something else in it. Um, I've been sharing that with uh, Mark as he as he went through. The, he's going through the New Testament now, but he went through the Book of John and then he went back Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then I sent him back through John, uh, the Book of John, and I said, "Well, was it any different?" And he said, "Yeah, it's amazing. It's just amazing." and I, I set off to do First John here with it in mind that it was going to go in a certain direction, and uh, I, I, I've, I've darn near gotten lost in it. Uh, it's remarkably more complicated than it was the last time I went through it, uh, which I find fascinating. Uh, so we're in First John chapter 5, and I'm, I, I honestly don't know where we're going to go today. I've got more notes than I need. I'm looking for 1 Corinthians 13. So if you've got your Bibles open, I'm reading from the King James as normal. Um, and I'll probably read down to 13. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Now, this is the third time we've been through this theme, uh, although it feels like the fifth to me. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth." Now, if you're following a different translation, you won't have this verse 7, because this comes through the Textus Receptus. "...For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost." And these three are one. Yours probably skipped what we call verse 8 in the King James. "...and there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood." And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God that he hath testified of his Son. And he that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath hath not life. These things have I written unto you. There's an echo of the gospel of John. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of his Son. A very elementary uh, uh, theology, a very elementary uh, book in the mind of many, uh, but it wades into some pretty deep theology at the same time. I was—I uh, don't remember where I found this. I'd give—I'd give the commentator credit, but I don't remember where I found this. But uh, verse one: uh, Whosoever believeth that Jesus Christ is—that Jesus is the Christ—is born of God. This is the key. In 1659, John Pearson wrote, "He could not be our Jesus unless he were the Christ." Is that up there? Good. He could not be our Jesus unless he were the Christ, for he could not. He could not reveal the way of salvation except He were a prophet. He could not work out that salvation except He were a priest. He could not confer that salvation upon us except He were a king. He could not be prophet, priest, and king except He were the Christ. So there's a lot that goes into saying I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's, of course, the point that John Pearson is making here. This is our verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, the emphasis, of course, of this book is to let you know, first of all, that you are saved, how you can be saved, know that you are saved, and then how you stay in fellowship with God. That's the whole purpose. Now, uh, just a couple of points about saving faith. There are three things that I wanted to note here. The first is the simplicity of salvation. And I probably should have underlined the words, whosoever believeth. That's all it takes. You know, you don't need to memorize creeds. You don't have to take a test. There's no list of do's and don'ts to follow. There's no board of deacons to convince that you're a savior. There's no church rules that you have to satisfy. You don't have to join this church. You don't have to eat our food. You don't even have to be in church to be saved. What you need to do is believe. You need to believe that Jesus is God's answer for your sin. You have to believe that God sacrificed his son to make it possible that he could freely forgive your sin. There's only two requirements. You have to see yourself as a sinner. You have to repent and you have to believe. You have to repent of your own failings and you have to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Now in 1971... I read a book, and in reading that book, he presented this this same simple gospel to me. And even though I'd been in church for many, many years by that time, uh, off and on, it was more of a uh, cultural thing with my sister and I. It was a chance to get out of the house. So we would go to church because we knew the family wouldn't. And uh, so it worked out very well for us. But I don't know. I, I, even as a young child, I used to go to different churches Uh Conservative and liberal churches just never heard the gospel. I'm going to assume that they presented the gospel and I didn't hear the gospel But I read that book that book said that Jesus Christ Came to earth voluntarily to take my sin upon that cross He suffered and died in my place so that I could freely take the free pardon of sin Now when I went when I went to God in prayer that night in 1971, I was laying in my bed I wasn't in church, I wasn't in a revival meeting, I wasn't in a tent anywhere, I was just laying in my bed and I bowed my heart to Jesus, to God, the Father, and I said, is this true? Did you kill your son so that I could go to heaven? Now that, that isn't exactly a statement of faith. And I can't exactly say at that point that I believe, but what I said to the Father was this, like that Father so many years ago said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I I said to God, I can't believe this, but if this is true, I'd really like it to be true for me. And I can tell you from personal experience that bowing your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and asking him to come into your life and save you will change your life forever. Not just here on the earth, it'll change your destination forever. So notice, first of all, the simplicity of salvation. Secondly, notice the universality of the offer to believe and be saved. Whosoever believeth whosoever believeth. Now I know our Calvinists and our Arminians get in huge discussions about this, but the simple truth is if you want to be saved, you can be saved. It's as simple as that. If you come to Christ, you can be saved. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. So if there's a problem on the salvation side with you, it's not on God's half, it's on your half. This is the point. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And I'm sure I've said it enough times that you know, but have eternal life means life into the age. Literally translated, you will have life that goes into the age when time stops, eternal life. I believe there's a general offer that goes out to everyone who is willing to trust him. That's the key. Now, the absolute necessity, the third point I want to make is the absolute necessity of faith, whosoever believe it. Now, Hebrews 11:6 tells us without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, when I came to Christ, I didn't come in faith. I came in doubt. But God gave me the faith that I needed. I believe the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. Faith is the eternal commitment inside my heart to trust that Jesus alone will save me and keep me. This is the point. But saving faith comes from God. And I think I have a slide on that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it. And now I'm assuming when I I read this, it refers back to faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, parentheses, faith is not of yourselves, it. That faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That night in 1971, I didn't really have faith, but God gave me faith when I asked him to. I wanted to believe. I wanted to believe that it was true, that it was possible that God would offer his son, Jesus Christ, on a cross for my sins. And when I prayed that prayer, I became born again, because when I woke up the next morning, everything had changed. There was a connection that I had with God that didn't exist before. And I know I've told you this many times. It seemed to me at the beginning that there was this big eye in the sky looking down on me. And honestly, it was a little intimidating because for the first time in my life, I wasn't alone. I was used to walking the fields. I was used to hunting alone. I was used to riding my motorcycle alone. Everything I did was alone. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't alone. I had a connection. And that connection is what we're going to talk about today. Once that connection is made with God... His love begins to flow through us. This is John's point. When we're connected to God, we are also connected through his love with his children. And that's why John, the little story thing didn't work. And that's why John makes this statement. Now, this is the second half of the first verse. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is a Christ is born of God and everyone that loveth him that begat, that's God the Father, loveth him also that is begotten of him. You can't love God and not love his children. This is the point. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Have you ever noticed that the lost world takes perverse pleasure in seeing their friends continue in sin? I mean, it isn't enough that I would go out with my Navy buddies and get drunk. We had to get everybody pasty-eyed, drop on the floor, dead drunk. It wasn't enough, you know, that we'd get into some debauchery. We had to get everybody into the debauchery. You know, And it's funny how uh, Paul notices this about the world. The lost world just delights in encouraging others to join them in their sin. And even they take joy in it. Who knowing the judgment of God, Paul writes, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do them themselves, not only do the same, Paul says, but have pleasure in them that do them. I notice this about my lost friends back when I was lost and the crowds I used to hang with. It was, it was as if, it is as if, I'm saying was because I'm thinking of my own life and I'm, I'm putting my lost life in the past. It is as if they're connected with some kind of an evil bond, and I've described that as a root, a source, a supply. This root working within them as a family of rebel sinners, encouraging one another to greater and greater sin. It is the root to which we are attached that produces the fruit. This is what Jesus said. I am the vine, you're the branches, except you abide in me. You'll dry out. You can't produce the fruit. And he says later, a few verses later, he says, For apart from me, without me, the King James reads, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you're either connected in one root or the other root. And when you look at the lost world, you realize they're connected in a root that binds them together in a mutual rebellion against God. Except God break that root and provide them with a new source of life, there is no changing. See, what we need to pray for our world is for repentance and that God would break into their darkness and that God would show them their evil. Now, precisely the opposite is true for us. And that's why I bring this up. God's children have a bond of love that unites us all through that root. We're all part of the same bush, the same grapevine. We have one root, and that root is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all connected together. That connection is Christ Himself. We love God and seek to please Him by our obedience to His leading in our lives. His love flows through us through the entire Christian community. And what that means is, we are concerned about what is best for the person that's sitting next to us. We're concerned about how best we can encourage them to do well and how to do that without causing them to stumble. And it's not an easy task. But Paul tells us how, and that's why I looked up First Corinthians 13. The actions of love. Uh, If I give my body to be burned, you know this passage. I should have it memorized, but somehow I've never memorized this passage of scripture. If I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing charity now that's the he's that's King James translation for the word agape, which we've been talking about for the past couple of months uh, that that uh, some people say the highest form of love, a giving love, a sacrificial love. Sacrificial love, and if you have another translation, charity will be translated the word love. Love is patient, it suffers long, and is kind. It envies not, it pushes not itself, it vaunteth not itself forward, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil. Now we're talking in relationship. You know, usually you you read this passage at a wedding. but I'm reading it in context with what John is saying here about how we are to treat one another in the family of God this is talking about how we're supposed to relate to one another not just to husbands and wives it certainly includes husbands and wives but certainly the message here is to other believers in Christ we don't behave ourselves unseemly we don't seek our own goals we're not easily provoked I'm amazed well, I'm amazed that God even called me to be a minister, to tell you the truth. But I have the worst hoof and mouth disease of anybody I've ever met as a public speaker. And I have provoked so many people. And I think I, I don't know how to stop that, you know. And that's one of the things I, I, I try to always remember to pray Lord, keep me from saying something incredibly stupid because I was always very good at that. Well, oh, love thinketh no evil. We're talking about the person next to you. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity. You know, the lost world rejoices in the twisted iniquity as the twisted nature sin leaves you in. The lost world rejoices in iniquity. We're not. We don't take any joy at all in seeing our brothers or our sisters fail. We rejoice in truth. We bear all things. We believe all things. We hope all things. We endure all things. Love never fails. But whether they be... Well, I don't need to read that. You get the point. You want to know what your relationship to your neighbor, Christian, should be. That describes it very well. Now, that's really the second point. The third point is, I've got to get it on there, okay. The the third point is, it is our love for God. It's it's our love for God that makes it possible that we love one another. The third point is our love for God that makes us obedient. And our our obedience is joyful. It's not a burden. Am I on the right verse here? Yes. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, that we walk in the path that he's marked out for us. I really wish John would have used something other than the word commandment because it sounds so much like I've got this list of things I have to do and that's not what it is. It's Lord, what are we going to get into today? What do you want me to do today? It's walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and his commandments are not grievous, now, we cannot really claim to love God and then ignore His leadership in our life. You can't really be a Christian and say, no, no, I've never considered God's will for my life. You know, that's, that's so bizarre that you wouldn't even ask the Lord what He wants you to do with your life. I mean, since He made you and allowed you to live and brought you to salvation, not to require... Myself to seek his will for my life seems incomprehensible and to ignore his day-to-day leadership in our life seems absurd if we truly love someone Walking with them and serving their needs is not painful. It's a joy now. I've always hated crowds of people Uh, I went to the smallest state and admit uh, agreed to become the pastor of the smallest church uh, because I do not like crowds of people. Now, most of you know that about me. I get nervous in a Walmart. I, I, I go into a Walmart with five things that I want to get, and by the time I'm at the greeter, I, the only thing on my list is I need to get out of here. You know, and I think, I'll get back in the car, and I think, I can't remember anything that I went in there for. It's like, oh, thank God for Amazon.com. I'm telling you, I, I can shop all over the world, and I don't need to go to Walmart. Something like a concert or a play, Jen mentioned, uh, uh, I, I, guess it, I guess it was a speech, was it a, con- no, it was a musical concert last Saturday night, you know, I thought, oh, I'd, I'd rather go in for open heart surgery than have to go to a concert, that's just the way I am, you know, but then I met Linda, of course, I was younger then and a little more flexible, uh, I met Linda in 1969, I think, and uh, I was sitting at a table, a round table with about Nine or ten of my, uh, you know, college buddies after the service got out, made, actually made some friends. And Liz, Linda was at our table, and she, she brought up the subject that her boyfriend at the time uh, had bought tickets to a concert, but now he was mad at her and didn't want to take her. And I said, I'll take you. <laughs> I hate concerts. And I said, I'll take you. You know, yeah, yeah I'll do that. Yeah, no problem. We even went downtown Philadelphia shopping for a birthday gift for her one time. You know, I, again, I, I'd I'd rather I'd rather go back to Vietnam than go to Philadelphia. Uh, it's really remarkable how, you know, being in love changes you. It really does. It changes you. And and thank God she's not a person that likes loud concerts. Uh, we went to Santana, and uh, when we got out of there, I discovered that. Uh, she didn't enjoy that any more than I did. We were waiting for the floor to collapse. So everybody was jumping up and down. He was beating, beating the drums and playing like a maniac. And it was so loud, I thought my head would explode. Uh, but uh, when she got out, she said, Oh, that was too loud. I thought, Oh, thank God she thinks that's too loud. Because if she said, Let's go back, I was going to say, Oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. You know. But because I was with her, it wasn't grievous. This is the point. If you love someone... You know, outwardly it may look like obedience. You know, people say, oh boy, she's got that chain through your nose. You know. Wasn't that at all? You know. Inwardly, it's love in action. Love will compel us to do things that we don't normally do, and that's what he said. His commandments are not grievous. Following Christ is not a difficult thing to do. If it's a difficult thing to do, there's something wrong. Well. John points out that it is our love for God that produces that type of obedience that in the result is for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth Jesus is the Son of God. Now I know, and I've said it before, a lot of this was written in response to different forms of Gnosticism of his day and different errors of his day. And you think, well, this is a little repetitive. It is, but each time it's a little different slant and it's a little different argument against the current uh, heresies of John's day. Not really that important for us, at least not right now. But for us, the question is, you know, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth Jesus is the Son of God. You met the Lord Jesus Christ. You came to him and you repented of your sins and you asked him into your heart and he gloriously changed you. And ever since then, you've been growing in Christ. No, you're not perfect. None of us are. We go back to some of our old sins, but we're not comfortable in those old sins. We find ourselves miserable with those things that we used to do. Was it hard to say goodbye to those old girlfriends and boyfriends when you finally met Mr. or Mrs. Perfect? See, this is we're talking about my relationship to sin after I come to Christ. Your relationship to sin after you come to Christ. Is it hard to say goodbye to those sins after you come to Christ? It's no harder than it was to say goodbye to that old boyfriend after you met the one you really loved. It wasn't hard at all. Immediately, that old boyfriend or that old girlfriend became a distraction to you. He or she became a burden. She was in the way, you know. The hard part was getting rid of it fast enough. And that's the way I was with my sins and that's the way I was with my old girlfriends. Couldn't get rid of them fast enough. That's what John is saying here. The same is true when we met Jesus that first time. The more deeply entwined we were in the sins of the world, the more desperately we were to get out. It It is as if we died to them and we did. The old me... Is dead. The old you is dead. There's a new you that is not in any connection related to that. This new relationship with God came about the moment we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is that new love for Jesus that breaks the chains of bondage that the world has held us in. Now I'm telling you, this didn't happen overnight for me. Something's happened overnight. As a brand new believer, I experienced a number of things almost immediately. Then over the next 50 years, I've gradually developed some victory over some of the other things. And then there's a few things that he's left, I think, just to remind me how stupid I am and how weak I am. And that if I don't trust him, I'll fall right back into them. But there, there are sins I had immediate victory over. There are sins I had slow working process to get better at, and then there's just some things that I'm gonna have to die to get rid of, I guess, you know. There's two types of victory in this life, Uh, and I I don't know where I got this illustration from. Uh, It's it's too good for me to have made it up, but it's too bad for anybody intelligent to have come up with it, so I I just can't source this thing for you, I'm sorry. But the illustration is the monk and a hound dog, You have the monk's approach to sin and you have the hound dog's approach.
1: The monk said he
0: finds victory over the world by self-denial. I don't know if that's general of all monks, but that's certainly what I think of monks. And this monk is proud of all that he gave up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he said that his main loves were watching television, sleeping in a soft bed, and eating warm chili. But because he knows Jesus and he wants to be more spiritual, he's defined these things as a sin. No, I don't think it's a sin to watch TV, sleep in a bed, or eat warm chili. Uh, I'm just using that as an illustration, or someone is. So this monk turns his back on these loves, and he lives without them. Year after year after year, he sleeps on a whole bed, a hard bed. He doesn't watch any TV, and he hasn't eaten chili since he took his first vow. And to the world, he looks very spiritual to them. But the question is, what is he thinking about most of the time? He's wondering what's on TV tonight. He's missing his bed and he would love a bowl of chili. He's thinking about what he left behind. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about what you left behind? That's the monk's approach. Self-effort, denying myself, Gritting my teeth to be a better Christian. It's not Christianity. That's the world. Now along comes the old hound dog. His only motive is love for his master. That's all he knows. If you've ever had a hound dog, and I have, they don't know much else than that. Uh, They really don't. They like to eat, they like to go to the bathroom, and they love their master. Beyond that, they're the dumbest animal God put on the earth. Since his master loves TV, I say that because my mother's had four hound dogs, and I don't know why she was no dog trainer, and those dogs weren't trained. And I'm telling you, we'd be sitting in there watching TV, and she'd go, "Oh, you know, I forget the dog's name now. Good grief, it's just going out of my mind." While well, the dog needs to go out, you know. Go, oh my God! And the kids would all look at each other and then, oh, "Please, don't look at me, Dad. Please." <laughs> yeah. But since his master loves TV, the dog gets to watch TV by his side, sitting right there on the couch. And since his master loves a soft bed, the dog gets a soft bed to sleep in himself. And since his master loves chili, the dog gets to lick out the finished bowl. But what is the dog thinking about the whole time? He's thinking about, I get to be with my master. Not worried about the TV, not worried about the bed, not worried about the chili, worried about spending time with his master. It's the funniest thing. I have this crazy dog we have. It's a mutt. And uh, I'll start downstairs to my office, and I can hear him leave the sofa where he sits looking out the window, waiting for Linda to come home, and immediately he's heading down the steps. He's got his own little bed down there in my office, and he thinks when I'm in the office, he has to be in the office. And it's the craziest thing. Yesterday, I started down to get something out of the basement, and he was at the top of the stairs. It was like my fourth trip up and down. And, and, and I said, I looked him in the eye, I said, I'm just going to get something. So he waited at the top to see if I was serious. And I went and got it and came back up, so he didn't come down. But normally he'd come down and lay on his bed. And then when I started back up the stairs, he kind of haroofs like, oh my gosh, are we going back upstairs? You know? But th- th- that's what a hound dog thinks about. The hound dog thinks he wants to be with the person that he loves. It isn't about comfort, it isn't about food, it isn't about entertainment. And, let it, and you can prove that because you let the master grab the gun and go out in the cold rain in search of food. Where's the dog? Right by his side. He's right there with his master. That dog will run his lungs out. I, I have heard, I haven't seen this, but I used, to, I used to rabbit hunt with some folks that said they've had dogs that were so intent on, on pleasing the master and catching that rabbit, they actually killed themselves running into a tree. They had their nose on the ground so close they didn't look up and ran right into a tree. You know, they're just intent on doing the job God made them to do. Where is the dog? He's right there with his master running his lungs out, soaking wet, freezing cold, miserably uncomfortable, but happy as a hound dog. That's what he is. This hound dog will hunt until he drops dead. Why? Because he loves his master. And the question, of course, is, is our relationship to Christ as of the monk who's given up all these things to be more spiritual? Or is our relationship to Christ as the hound dog who just loves the Lord and wants to be with him? And of course, my encouragement is to be the hound dog. How's my time doing? Is that after 11? I wonder if I should stop. What's that? Yeah, oh, oh, I've got a clock right here and I'm looking at the one in the back. Yeah, it's time to stop. That's good. I've got four more points, but I'll save the hard part for last. How about that? You know, I'll leave the hard part for last. The water and the blood. If you've ever read that passage in uh, 1 John and you thought, holy cow, uh, I don't understand that. Uh, rest assured, uh, no one else does. Uh, they've been talking about those verses ever since. And we'll, we'll, we'll pick that up the next time. Thank you, Father, for this day and for this opportunity to look into your word. Thank you, Father, for the love that you've shown us through your Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer, Father, is and my hope is that every soul that is in this room has come to a knowledge of their own sinfulness, that they've confessed that sinfulness to you, Father, and that they've asked you to come into their life. Lord, it doesn't take any specific prayer. It just takes a willing heart that says, Lord, please, Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me. And we know that the Bible declares that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.